let's go ahead and stand as we open up. How's, how's everybody doing tonight? Hey, got some greats. Well, we're improving. We were doing good last week with some head nods, and tonight we're doing great. Thank you for being with us online. We're glad that you've tuned in tonight. Uh, we're going to open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Uh, again, we want to continue praying. Uh, again, we say it every week, pray for a revival. Uh, you know, the psalmist said, will you not revive us again that we might rejoice in you? Uh, and we want to uh, just see God continue to pour out his spirit upon, uh, upon us. And uh, a lot of things going on tonight uh, as we kick off the summer I'm going to say the doldrums, <laughs> but uh, the summer months, so we'll have people that will be traveling, uh, vacationing, things like that. We just want everyone to have a safe, safe time, fun time, and come home. <laughs> Father, today we are so grateful to come together and study your word. Lord, I thank you that all around us, Lord, we see, uh, Lord, just uh, the, the, the beauty of creation. Lord, just these general reminders of how much you really care and how much you love us. Lord, thank you that you demonstrated that love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, there is no greater love than that, and we thank you. Uh, Lord, tonight as we open up, we do so with a grateful heart. We're thankful, uh, Lord, for your, uh, Lord, just your availability, your faithfulness, your trustworthiness. Lord, that we can come to you, and again, at your invitation, we come boldly to your throne. We find mercy and grace. I pray for the hands that went up in the building tonight. Lord, there are needs that we have. I thank you that you're a healer. Uh, whatever that need is tonight, Lord, you're our healer, uh, you're our confidant, you're our deliverer, Lord, you are our source, our supply, uh, Lord, you're, in our, you're our encouragement, Lord, I thank you that you are Jehovah Shalom, you're our peace in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our storms, Lord, you are our peace, and I just pray that tonight that you would touch every heart, Lord, every need, those online tonight, wherever they might be tuned in, I pray, God, that you would just, Lord, just let your presence be uh, known there. Lord, and I pray for all the ministries on campus tonight, Lord, that you would be exalted and lifted up. And Father, I pray for this, these summer months as uh, people get away and spend quality time with their families. Lord, we ask your hand of travel and mercies upon each one, and then we ask you to bring them home safely. Lord, bless the ministry, send revival, Lord, as we hunger for you. Uh, be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it to you now in Jesus' name, and we all said... Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated tonight. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3 as we continue on with our series on Got Questions. Um, in way of announcements, just a couple things coming up. Don't forget uh, uh, next Thursday, a week from tomorrow, is our uh, food distribution at Yellow Jacket Stadium. Uh, great opportunity if you have kids uh, to, to bring them out to uh, help out with that as we, we serve 200 families on that particular Thursday. Uh, also, uh, VBS is coming up here in a couple of weeks. We can still use volunteers for that. And then also, uh, let me just remind you that on July the 2nd is our Celebrate America. Uh, this is our God and Country Day where we honor, uh, again, our Christian heritage as a nation. Uh, and we also honor uh, God. It is uh, we'll, 4th of July, celebration is what it is. We encourage people to dress, you know, patriotically and uh, I know sometimes there's, there are churches in our, in our country that get really bent out of shape about that. Uh, and, and my answer to them is they can just go pound sand. Um, I just, <laughs> I'm thankful for the Christian heritage. I know we're a far cry from what we used to be. 
but you know what? There are churches, there are people that still believe that God has a purpose and that God can redeem. You know, there are too many Old Testament stories. I was reading about Josiah, uh, young king, uh, who was the godliest king uh, that Israel ever had. And, uh, and uh, don't tell me God can't do it. God withheld judgment because he was a righteous leader. And God can do that. So we're going to do that, celebrate uh, God and country, invite your veteran friends. Uh, we want to honor them in the service. And then we're going to have lunch uh, right after service. We will have menu, uh, I, uh, a menu set up, I think, on Sunday. And basically, we're, we're going to, the sides will be baked beans, potato salad, desserts. And so we'll have that set up for you to sign up. And we just want to make sure everybody has enough food. Uh, anyway, let's get right into it. We only have a I'm going to be winding this series up. We've been talking about, I think this is uh, maybe number six or seven in our series on Got Questions. And again, these are just random questions that people have. Now, I'll tell you tonight, uh, this is going to be a real difficult uh, teaching. It's, uh, it's, going to, it, it's going to be, uh, you know, I really hesitated in going this direction, but I do think it's important that you and I understand um, our, our Christendom and what we believe. I I did a whole series on the Apostles' Creed um, and preached for, you know, eight weeks on the Apostles' Creed because it's important that we understand, uh, you know, a lot of people want to do away with doctrine. Doctrine is essential. And so tonight, I'm, I'm kind of beating around the bush, but I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about the, the Trinity, talk about the Trinity. And uh, I'll just preface it by saying there will be a lot of Scripture um, uh, because it is a, it is a very challenging it, it may be one of those things where you sit there think, thinking, uh, I'm sounding like Charlie Brown's teacher on the peanuts. Womp, 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 womp. But it's important we understand this doctrine. It's crucial to Christianity. So uh, I chose for my text, there are several that we could have selected from, but Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God. Notice what he, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And may the Lord add his blessing uh, to his word tonight. So, so again, tonight we're going to look at one of the most profound and essential doctrines of Christianity, uh, the Trinity. It, years ago when we would do our four-week membership class, uh, we would do it as a Sunday school class. I would teach... Uh, and, and I would always talk about that we are, we are Trinitarian in our belief. And, and what that means is we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in one divine essence. That is the Trinity. Now, th to, to uh, this doctrine, I think this is a doctrine that uh, is really challenging to understand. And so as we kind of start, let me throw out a couple of things I think were noteworthy as we delve into the scriptures about the Trinity. Number one, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. You know, there'll be people that will object to the idea of the Trinity because it's not a, a word that's specific to the Bible, and yet the truth of the Trinity is found throughout the Bible. The word Trinity literally means triunity, okay, or three-in-oneness. That's what the Trinity means. Uh, another thing is that Part of in, in our study, and we're going to be utilizing systematic theology. Okay, now I know that's uh, that that's maybe foreign to a lot of people. Systematic theology basically 
refers to studying the entire scripture and what it has to say about a particular topic. So it's a systematic way of studying a topic. So you start, you know, you start in Genesis and you go all the way, all the way through scripture. That's a system. So it's a systematic approach to it. Um, this topic, another thing to think about, this topic will uh, stretch your mind. Uh, there, I'll give you a famous quote here in a little bit uh, because of, of how challenging it is to really wrap our minds around it. Someone has said the doctrine of the Trinity is the most important Christian doctrine that most people never talk about. And there's probably a lot of truth to it because we don't fully comprehend or understand it. A.W. Tozer said it like this. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Here's another one. The Trinity is one of our truly distinctive doctrines of Christianity. The Trinity is crucial for Christianity because, and this is why we're studying it. Again, I started to shy away from this, but I thought, you know what? We're just going to we're just gonna run, run right into it. Uh, the Trinity is important because, uh, it, uh, uh, because it concerns who God is. It concerns what he is like and how he works, and how he's to be approached. Uh, and, and then maybe the last thing is this. Tonight, I won't answer all your questions. <laughs> there, there, there's no way in a, in a teaching like this, in a setting, that we could, uh, and in fact, I don't think anyone who's ever been able to answer all the questions. So we're just going to jump in and see where it goes and see what we can do. Uh, but what about the Trinity? Well, let's get started. Uh, and again, we're going to use a lot of scripture. So what does the Bible say about the Trinity? Well, uh, Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, here's what he writes. He said, the doctrine of the Trinity is one of the most important doctrines in the Christian faith. To study the Bible's teaching on, Trin- on the Trinity gives us great insight into the question that is at the center of all of our seeking after God. What is God like in himself? Here we learn that in himself... In his very being, God exists in the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yet there is one God. So, uh, again, although the the doctrine of the Trinity is not uh, explicitly found in the Old Testament, there are several passages that that infer uh, the plurality of the Godhead. For instance, Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man... How? In our image, after our likeness. In Genesis 3.22, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Genesis 11.7 says, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Again, notice the wording. Let us, let us do this. Isaiah 6.8, uh, the famous passage there when God sends out the question, and here's what he said in verse number 8. He says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I, singular, send, and who will go for us? Plural. So again, even though it's not explicitly said, you see the inference of the Godhead, the three in one, in the Old Testament. Again, there's a lot more evidence of the Trinity in the New Testament uh, with the coming of Christ and then obviously the sending of of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Matthew chapter 3, which again I read, uh, our text tonight says that after Jesus was baptized, so you have Jesus, the heavens opened and the Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove and the, and the Father God spoke from heaven. So you see all three of them evident and, and, and evidenced 
in his baptism. Uh, again, Grudem points out at this one precise moment, talking about this, our text tonight, at this one precise moment, all three members of the Trinity are performing three distinct activities. God the Father is speaking from heaven. God the Son is being baptized and then spoken to from heaven by God the Father. And God the Holy Spirit is descending from heaven to rest upon and empower Jesus for ministry. So there's evidence right there. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 in the Great Commission. Go therefore, what did he say? And make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Again, our, our task of evangelism and discipleship is distinctively Trinitarian. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Paul writes, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 1 Peter 1, 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. One more. Jude 20 and 21, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Again, I know these, again, all of these things, there's a lot of scriptures and and, and you say, wow, that's just overwhelming to think about. Well, it really is, but it is essential to our doctrine to understand. So we'll, we'll kind of delve into a little bit more and unpack this thing. So the Bible establishes uh, three important things. Number one, the Bible establishes that God is one God, okay? The, that God is one God. Um, the Bible is clear. They're not multitudes of gods. There's only one God. Uh, he, is the only, he is only one being, not three gods, Okay, so tritheism, we'll talk about that in a minute. Tritheism says there's three gods and three trinities within th the trinity. Uh, so, so it's, again, there's some errors that were done, but the Bible establishes there's one God. In fact, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and the Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 and 6 says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Beside me there is no God. I equip you. Though you do not know me, the, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Again, very, very declarative, emphatic. There's only one. Romans 3.30, Paul said, since God is one. New Testament reference. James 2.19, James writes, you believe that God is one, you do well. Again, the Bible establishes that God is one. Second thing, God is, the Bible establishes that God is three persons, okay? So this means, what does that mean? Well, it means that the Father is not the Son and he's not the Holy Spirit. I know our, our eyes are going to glaze over before the night's over. <laughs> he's not, so, so the Father is not the Son and he's not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father, nor is he the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, nor is he the Son. God is one, in essence, three in persons. Again, John 14, here's, here's that, how that plays out. Verses 16 and 17, he said, And I will ask the Father, okay, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper 
to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So there it is fleshed out. He said, I, who, Christ, will pray the Father to do what? To give you the Spirit. That's it. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Again, there you have it. You have the Father sending the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus to help us into all truth. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. So again, Father, Spirit, Jesus. Another thing the Bible established, the third thing, is that each person is fully God. So what does that mean? It means that one uh, again, one isn't the other, and each member of the Trinity is equal in power and rank and glory and in majesty. It, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute because I, 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 I want to sound apologetic because I know this is a very, uh, a very deep and, and heavy because we don't understand it. But again, it's essential to Christianity that we understand. Uh, it's, 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 for, it's the forefront doctrine that separates Christianity from all other religions. You know, there are a lot of of verses that establish the Father and the Son and the Spirit as distinct and divine, uh, but I'll just give you one each just for the sake of time. Number one, so the Father is God. Malachi 2.10, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Okay, so now we look at the Son. So the Father is God. The Son is God. Okay, John uh, so, so after Thomas expressed his doubts, you know, remember Thomas was doubting Thomas uh, about the bodily uh, resurrection of Christ. John 20, 28, after he saw and bore witness that it was Jesus, what did he say? He said, my Lord and my God. So the Father is God, Jesus is God. Acts chapter 5, when Peter asked Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to man, but to God. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Three in one essence. That's the Trinity. So, so how do we describe the Trinity, okay? Again, these are questions that would come up about how do, how do we describe the doctrine of the Trinity comes directly from the pages of Scripture. Even though the word Trinity is never used, the doctrine is there. It's well established uh, by more than two Scriptures. All through Scripture, we see the activity of the Holy Spirit, and we see the activity of, of, of God the Father and God the Son. We see it all. Um, and, and I like the way one pastor wrote it. He said this. He said, referring to looking at Scripture, he said, we find evidence for oneness we find evidence, evidence for threeness, and we find evidence for three in oneness. By carefully pulling all the evidence together and without sliding any part of the evidence in favor of other evidence, we arrive at the orthodox doctrine of the Trinity. This is the quote I wanted to give to you. Uh, Millard Erickson wrote this. He said, the doctrine of the Trinity must, divine, must be divinely revealed, not humanly constructed. 
And he goes on and says, it is so absurd from a human standpoint that no one would have invented it or try to explain it. He goes on and says, and if you try to explain it, you will lose your mind, but if you deny it, you'll lose your soul. That's how important the doctrine of the Trinity is. You know, with something so challenging to understand, there have been heresies throughout church history, particularly regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, and, and, some of, and some of those things are still hanging on today, by the way. There's still a lot of erroneous uh, ideas about the Trinity. In fact, I'll just give you a couple of them. Modelism is one of them. Modelism is an error. It's, it's, it's heresy. And it basically teaches that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are different names for the same God acting in different roles. Okay? Uh, Modern-day modelists would be um, Oneness Pentecostals, uh, United uh, Apostolics. They would be modelism. Again, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the same, and they just are operating in different roles. Whereas Trinity is three distinctive people in one essence. Another one is monarchism. Uh, and basically this teaches that there's only one person and that Jesus and the Holy Spirit subsist as impersonal attributes. And this is what the Unitarian Church believes, uh, that, that they are impersonal attributes, that they're really not, they're not real. Arianism uh, is named after a, 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 a popular heretic named Arius, who basically his doctrine, he, he fully denied the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, he taught there was a time that the Son did not exist. And that's what the Jehovah's Witness teach and believe today. And then you have the last one I'll just say is tritheism, which I have already alluded to. And basically it teaches there are three separate gods and that's what Mormons teach uh, today. So, so you had those from the history of the church, throughout the history. Again, because the Trinity is such, a very, is such a complicated and difficult doctrine, you had these heresies that were floated around. So how did the church deal with that? How did the church deal with the uh, errors of, of heresies, particularly about the deity of Christ and, and, and the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity? Well, what they did was they came up with creedal statements or creeds. The word creed comes from Latin. It means, uh, in Latin, it means credo or credo, and it just literally means I believe. So the early church, whenever there was a heresy that arose, they, they had creeds. They developed creedal statements that were summaries of what the church actually believed. They, again, they summarized uh, the doctrine that the church held on to, and one of those is the Apostles' Creed, which I preached on last year. It affirms a belief in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says in part, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Another one was the Nicene Creed. And this one clarified the Trinity in more detail in, uh, in A.D. 325, uh, it took its final form in A.D. 381, and here's, what it, here's the way it read, part of it. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one, in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, 
light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. Again, clarifying the doctrine of the Trinity. The last one I'll give to you is the uh, Athanasian Creed. Uh, this was the, it was in the 5th century. Again, another heresy arose. And so they came up with this, the church got together, formed the creed, uh, the Athanasian Creed. It is the longest, so I'm not going to read the whole thing of all the creeds. But here's what it, here's what it, here's what it says. That we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the, divine, but the divinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. And yet... There are not three eternal beings. There is but one eternal being. So, too, there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings. There is but one uncreated and immeasurable being. We must worship their trinity in their unity and their unity in their trinity. Anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the trinity, end quote. I told you, you're looking at me like a deer with the headlights on. Heavy stuff. What I'm saying is that the doctrine of the Trinity is a, is a foundational doctrine of the church. So how can we understand the Trinity? That's, that's the question. You say, okay, you're giving me all this information. How do we understand it? Well, it's kind of interesting because I'm sure all of us at some point in our life have had someone try to explain to us the Trinity. And when they try to explain the Trinity, uh, people use metaphors and other types of analogies to kind of help us grasp the truth of the Trinity. And again, I think some of those are helpful maybe on an elementary level, uh, but there really isn't anything that we know that can adequately depict the Trinity. Uh, I think in trying to understand the Trinity, it's helpful to understand what Paul said in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. He said, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past understanding. You know what that means? It means sometimes we just don't have a clue. We just don't have a clue. And, and furthermore, the Bible says that the things of the Spirit are what? They are spiritually discerned. In other words, I've got to be in a covenant relationship with God so that I can tap into divine illumination because there are just some things that don't make an ounce of sense to me. And I have to have, that's why, again, the Holy Spirit's job, part of it, is to lead me into the truth. He's that guy that helps me with truth. So, so down through the years, I've heard all kinds of analogies and metaphors about the Trinity. How many's ever heard about the three-leaf clover? I've, I've had people that have said, well, the, the Trinity, it's kind of like the three-leaf clover. You've got three different leaves, and yet you only have one clover. Or how about the one about the tree? Anybody ever heard the tree analogy? A tree is made up of roots, a trunk, and branches. And in my mind, it never made sense because you also have the leaves, and there's not four in one. <laughs> but, but the idea is you've got roots. The tree has a root, it has a trunk, and it has branches, but there's only one tree. How about water? 
I think we've all probably heard this. And I, in fact, I may, when I was a children's pastor many years ago, I may have used this as an illustration. Water exists in three states. A liquid, a solid, ice, and a vapor. But it's just H2O. The Holy Spirit, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's three things, but it's just one essence. How about a person with different roles? I've heard this one too. You know, for instance, I'm, I'm, I'm a father. Uh, what else? I'm a husband, and I'm a pawpaw. <laughs> you know, you could take that. I'm a, I'm a son. I'm a husband. I'm a father. But I'm just one man. The last one, uh, there's probably more out there, but these are some that are more popular. How about the egg? Anybody ever heard one about the egg? You know, again, the egg is like the trinity. You've got the shell. You have the yolk. The yolk, and you have the, the, the white part. That's all, that all makes up the egg, but there's just one egg. You know, I mean, those are imperfect. And again, maybe on an elementary level, it helps us to kind of grasp sort of but I don't think it really does justice to what the Trinity really is all about. In fact, I think John 14, 9, Jesus gives the very best example of, of uh, what the Trinity is. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In Colossians 1, 15, Jesus, uh, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, 3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation or imprint is not representation he's the exact copy of his nature or imprint of his nature in other words there's the same they're the same so how do we what, what what's the application of this what's the application well instead of seeing the doctrine of the trinity you know you know so how many's ever seen a picture of a uh, what do they call those? A crag in the rock that just kind of sticks out and uh, an, an out. What do they call those? A an outcrop of a from a cliff. You know, we got to be careful. And when looking at, instead of seeing the the doctrine of the Trinity is kind of a sticking out from the side of Christianity, and maybe something that's only understood by crusty old theologians. <laughs> uh, I, I think what I want to spend the next few moments on and. I'll get you out of here probably early tonight, I would imagine, because everybody's already half asleep. <laughs> Somebody called me one time and said, Pastor, I'm really having a problem sleeping. Can I get one of your sermons? <laughs> hey, whatever I can do to help folks out, I'm telling you. <laughs> so so I think to help, we'll talk about a few applications. So, so number one, the Trinity teaches us to treasure who God is. Again, why it's important we understand the Trinity is it helps us to treasure who God is. Dr. Merchant uh, writes, meditating, here's what he said, meditating on divine triunity or Trinity is both an intellectual activity, and how many has already figured that out? It's like, whoo. It's both an intellectual activity and an expression of reverence as we strive to know and love the glorious God who first loved us. When we meditate on the, uh, listen, there is no God like our God. 
And, and, and really, you know, I used to talk, you know, people talk about heaven. And, you know, the Bible gives us a little bit of a glimpse into what heaven is going to be like. It talks about streets that are made of translucent gold. It talks about walls of jasper and gates of pearl. And it talks about a, a city, one city that is 1,500 miles cubed. And it talks about a crystal sea and all of those wonderful things. But the problem is there's, I've got a lot more questions than just those things. And the Bible doesn't give me those answers because... There's nothing here that I can relate it to. I have no basis for understanding. You know, there, there's nothing here. It, it's indescribable. And I think when it comes to the Trinity, it's one thing to revere the awesomeness and the immeasurable nature of our God, but we're not going to get to that place where we, that's why the Bible says we see darkly. We have limited understanding. And that's why we live by what? Faith. We walk by faith. All of these things, it's by faith. And faith is not a cop-out. I know the world would say, well, that's just what you guys say when you don't understand something. Well, you know, at some point, you just got to say, yeah, you're right. I trust him. I trust him. You know, I got people that, you know, that will question me about Sheila. Well, you do believe God heals? I do. Well, why hasn't he healed her? I don't know. But I have faith that God's plan is working out according to him. I, I just believe that. Listen, to be wrong about God is to be wrong about one's eternal destiny. John Calvin once put it like this. He said, if we try to think about God without thinking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, here's how he described it. He said, then only the bare and empty name of God fits, uh, flits about in our brains to the exclusion of the true God. In other words, we're not, we're not meditating on the fullness of God. If we don't think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're, we're, we're taking a sliver of the Godhead and we're thinking about it. The Trinity, the next thing, the Trinity puts us in our proper place. You know, think about it. And, and how many has ever heard somebody say something like this? Well, God created us because he was lonely. Anybody ever hear something like that? Because he was lonely. Why did God make man? Well, he was lonely. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. God didn't create the world because he was lonely. I mean, again, the Trinity has always existed. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The, the, he has always existed in, as a trinity, and there was, the, in love has equally flowed between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He wasn't lonely. He existed with the, with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. They, they were in harmonious relationship. He made, us, he made us not because he needed us. He created us because he loved us. That's the doctrine of Scripture. He didn't do it because of, what, of anything he lacked, but rather he was so filled with joy that his delight overflowed into creation. That's why when the Father created all that we see, Garden of Eden, all of these things, placed man there, created man in their image, the Bible says he looked at it and he said, it was very good. He overflowed with such joy that it spilled over into creation. One author says, as believers, we will forever be caught in the eternal crossfire of Trinitarian love and affection. I like that. 
In other words, what he's saying is because the Father loved the Son and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Son loved the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit loved the Father and the Son, we got caught in the crosshair of their love for each other and it spilled over into creation and that's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why John 3.16 declares it without any, without any uh, apology whatsoever. For God so loved the world that he gave. What was he doing? He was, he was redeeming what was lost in the fall because the order came out of his overabundance of love between them. Charles Spurgeon, can't, can't go through a teaching like this without talking about Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said, no subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. There was a thinker of a, of a particular era who said, you know what, if you want to expand, expand your brain and understanding of Christendom, Think on the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number three, the Trinity gives us a model for unity and community. So, so in order to describe the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, scholars use a term, and, and I can't ever say it right, it's perichoresis, uh, and it literally means dancing around. Dancing around, that's what the term means. Each member of the Trinity is in a divine dance interacting with each other. Have you ever, have you ever watched, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the more sophisticated dancing? Uh, you know, maybe the waltz. Uh, I don't know any other dances. You know, the flappers did something back in the 20s. I, I don't really. <laughs> Were they floppers or flappers? <laughs> yeah, whatever. But, but if, you, if you really look at a well-choreographed, dance there's a there's a lot of movement and interacting that goes on and that that's what he's saying here is that uh the perichoresis the dancing around is that each member of the trinity is in, in a divine dance where they're interacting with each other expressing love for one another and complimenting the work that each one has to do you see a skilled dancer and it, it, it's it's art does clogging count there he goes, yeah, line dancing. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot of skill involved in that stuff. And if you watch it, someone who is skilled, what a, be what a beautiful thing. That's what he's saying about the Trinity, is if we understand the Trinity, we understand there's a, a divine dancing going on interacting with each other, complimenting their work. Uh, and again, it's all based on love. God is in a relationship in a way that we're not in a relationship. Or maybe, better yet, God is in, a, in relationship in a way that we are intended to be in relationship and we're invited to be in that relationship. Listen, there's always been holy harmony within the Trinity. And again, I, I want you to think about what I taught about last week. We've been challenged, okay, to be one with every other born-again believer. Last week, we looked at the longest prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. And let me just read a portion of that again. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, 
that they may be one even as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. There's that divine dancing right there. Our oneness, our, our unity is somehow grounded in a way that we can't fully comprehend. It's grounded in the oneness between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the Trinity. As God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit relate to one another, demonstrate love for one another, and work in concert for the purpose, to accomplish the purposes of God, we've been called to do the same thing. See, that's why the Trinity, that's part of why it's such an important doctrine to understand is the way they work together in harmony with each other to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. God's called each of us to flow just like that, to love one another, to work together so that we can accomplish. You know what the badge of the church or a Christian is? The badge that we wear is not, it's not the words that we speak. It's the love that we show. Remember now what he said? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you, if you love one another. If you love one another. See, the Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. That love together, they're working together to accomplish something. I've said it many, many times. It's amazing what can be done when we stop worrying about who gets the credit for it and just get on with the task at hand. Number three, or four, the Trinity helps us understand Christianity. Again, we don't have time to really delve into the depths of this, but, but you think about doctrines of the church, things like the incarnation, okay, the virgin birth of Christ, the, 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 the doctrine of the crucifixion of Christ, the uh, doctrine of propitiation or substitutionary atonement or the, the resurrection or the ascension uh, or the second coming. They only make sense within the truth of the Trinity. Salvation comes to us from the Father through the Son by the means of the Holy Spirit. We hear people say oftentimes uh, about us, well, I found Christ. No, you didn't find him. He found you. (laughs) You know, long before a person kneels at an altar or wherever they might kneel to pray a prayer, the Holy Spirit has been an agent of change and conviction and has been working on them. That's why I say don't ever shortchange your prayers. You know, we've got people that have loved ones that are not saved. You know, our prayer is God may the eyes of their understanding be enlightened so that they might see your truth and believe. That releases the Holy Spirit to begin working on them. You know, I mean, we, we, we have a lot of people that have a seed. You know, maybe they went to Sunday school when they were kids and they rejected it, but there's a seed. Maybe they've turned on a television show that was a seed planted. Maybe they, met a, the, a, maybe they saw a Christian in a restaurant that bowed their head and prayed. That was a seed planted. And the Holy Spirit is the agent that takes that and begins to work it. Because God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. But it's from, it's from the Father and the Son through the, the Spirit. That's how it happens. We don't find him. He finds us. Another thing, understanding the doctrine of the Trinity enables us to spot error. This is important. This is important. 2 Timothy 4, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. When we understand the Trinity and how all that works together, it helps us to spot error. You know, we have to be very careful in, in the world that we live in today that we don't get, we don't, we're not, what's the word I want to use? Um, that we're not baffled because somebody can quote a lot of scripture. I, I haven't shared this with you in a long time. Um, I, I know I have before. When I pastored uh, in Germany, so you got to understand, when I, when I went to Germany, I, w- I was a young man. Sheila and I uh, had been married a year. Uh, we met, I was a children's pastor. When I wasn't deployed, I did children's ministry at First Assembly in Leesville, Louisiana. I met Sheila there. We got married. She became uh, part of the team, obviously, <laughs> And we were children's pastors. We had about 120 kids in our ministry there, uh, had a very large bus ministry. We reached kids, um, uh, just a powerful thing. We get to Germany, and I go and introduce myself to the European director who happened to be the brother-in-law of the man who brought me on as a children's pastor. Talk about a small world. You know, I go up there, and he said, hey, I see you from Leesville. Did you know so-and-so? And I said, well, yeah, he was my pastor. He said, that's my brother-in-law. <laughs> And so when they started doing retreats, uh, they, they would do, in Europe, they would do an Assembly of God retreat every year. And Sheila and I were their children's evangelists. We always did their kids' program for that event. Um, but then we had a church at a, that a chaplain was leading, an Assembly of God chaplain. He was retiring, and they didn't have a missionary to fill that role. So the, the, the uh, European director called me, and he said, hey, Mike, um, we've got this church at Simbach Air Base, about a 45-minute drive from my house. He said, we can't get a, a missionary in, and that church is going to close if we don't get somebody there. Would you mind, would you, would you consider taking that church? And I said, his name was Bob Chris. I said, Brother Bob, I'm a children's pastor. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, well, Mike, he said, look at it like this. They're just big kids. That's what he said. He said, they're just big kids. And uh, so that's why our ministry changed. That's why I'm not in children's ministry. We changed. We started doing pastoral ministry. And I'll tell you, I had a, had a young man, and i got to hurry up, and I'll, I'll close with this story. Uh, well, I won't close. i got two more points. <laughs> so I had a young man in the church that uh, was leading a Bible study when I got there, and he was a single soldier, and uh, knowledgeable. This guy could quote scripture. I just want to say, I'm always leery when somebody wants to tell me what they do in the spirit. Don't tell me, show me. Because it's a turn off. I turn, I, I turn you, I'm sorry, that's just, that's my nature. I turn it off. Because I, I don't want to hear it, I want to see it. This guy would come in, he would quote scripture all the time, and he was very knowledgeable uh, of the Bible and things like that. And, and uh, one particular Sunday night, I was preaching, and I went off on a topic that I had, had nothing to do with my message. It just it was one of those rabbits that I just went off on. I said something about it, got right back on topic, finished it up. When I when the service got over, okay, and I'm getting ready to dismiss. We had a good altar time that night. This young man gets up from the back. It's a, it was a shotgun style, and he starts walking down the middle aisle of the church. And I thought, well, to me, it was you know I was 21 years old. I thought that was a bit unusual, but hey, they're big kids, so you know. <laughs> 
I thought maybe he wanted to share a word of knowledge or something with the congregation. He gets up on the platform and he takes his finger and he pokes it in my face. He said, you're a liar. He said, everything that you've said here tonight is a lie. And he said, I have a, an obligation to tell people that you're a liar. You got to understand that I had not been too many years from my rebellious stages. And I wanted to lay hands on him suddenly and forcefully. <laughs> but I didn't. I, 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 I just immediately stopped and my spirit began to pray. And all I could say, and I really think it was God holding my tongue, John, I really do, because my tongue was ready to wag. And I think God was holding my tongue. And the only thing I could get out of my mouth was let's stand and be dismissed. He got mad because I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't engage him, stormed out the back door. Uh, people, you know, gathered around. We prayed. You know, it was a big shock to me. So I went to the Lord, and he said, don't ever be impressed by people's biblical knowledge. The devils believe. And I thought, wow, okay, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Fast forward, I'll just tell you, the story has a happy ending. From about six months later, he calls me in the middle of the night, and he said, I owe you an apology. He said, God just came to me and spoke to me and said I was totally wrong. He said, I need to make this right. He said, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I, I'm, I'm just saying that sometimes when we understand, we, we've got to be aware of, doc, of, of, of errors that are out there. Uh, and the whole, by understanding the Trinity, the fa how the Father and the Son and the Spirit work together, we can identify errors. Um, uh, number, number six, embracing the Trinity, a, a part of it accelerates evangelism. Again, Jesus said to them in John 20, he said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, he said, You will receive power. The promise of the Father is power. It helps us, and I preached on that Sunday about it helps us. Whatever we do is, is to be done from the standpoint of a triune God who created us and enabled us to do, enabled us to do these things. I like one pastor wrote this. He said, preaching a generic God to, a hopeless, to hopeless sinners is worthless. The world needs to hear about a triumphant, sovereign, sinner-saving, devil-defeating, sin-conquering, death-destroying, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, righteous, loving, wrathful, and triune God. That's what they need to hear. I thought, yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm going to wrap this up. So, so maybe the last one here is, uh, and I don't know that I wrote it down, but I'll give it to you. By understanding the Trinity, it helps us to pray. I probably get this question a lot. Pastor, do I pray, do I, do I pray to Jesus or do I pray to the Father? You know, how, how, do, how do I pray? And, and again, in general, the pattern of Scripture, if you look at the pattern in the Bible, is to pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the pattern. God the Father hears us because of the merits of God the Son through the agency of God the Holy Spirit. But, you know, so when the disciples asked Jesus, remember, they didn't say teach us, uh, they, they just said teach us to pray. What did he say in Matthew 9, 6, or excuse me, 6, 9? Our Father who art in heaven. That was the, the model. Having said that, it is not wrong to pray to Jesus. Stephen did that. In Acts chapter 7, it says, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
Again, since all three members of the Trinity are God, I think worship is okay. I don't think there's anything wrong. We get some people that get bent out of shape. Oh, oh, you prayed to the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't pray to the Holy Spirit. No, he's God. The Son is God. Hey, there's some times when I'm in a pickle, I say, Jesus, help. (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) As I close tonight, I, I, I know... I know we've covered a lot of ground, and it may, be, it may seem confusing to say, you know, I probably should have stayed home tonight. No, you shouldn't have. No, you shouldn't have. You need to know that we have a doctrine that is foundational, that has been debated and discussed and, 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 and contemplated for centuries. Centuries. We're not talking something that was done last week, last month, you know, 10 years ago, 100 years ago. We're talking about something that the early church grappled with, the Apostles' Creed dealt with it, the Nicene Creed did in, three, uh, in, in the 3rd century, 5th uh, century, the Athanasian Creed did. I mean, it has been debated and, 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 and held up as a cardinal doctrine of Christendom. And it's something that we need to know at least as much as we can I just want you to take this away with you. The foundational doctrine of the Trinity is rock solid. It'll never splinter nor shatter. The Bible is very clear. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's not some addendum or an appendage uh, onto the gospel. It's a core part of the gospel. Again, try to explain it, you'll lose your mind. Try to deny it, you'll lose your soul. Salvation comes to me. As a gift from the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way I'm saved. Won't you stand with me tonight? We'll close out next week probably on a maybe on a little better, easier topic. But my prayer is tonight that maybe maybe as one of the authors I quoted said, that nothing would be more expansive to our spiritual minds than to contemplate the Trinity. Study God. Study God. See, the more I know God, the more I love God. You know, I, I, I don't study to accumulate knowledge per se, you know, just for trivial sake. I want to know him. I want to know as much as I can know about him because knowing him is to love him. And, and when people today challenge us, you know, we just ask, do you know him? Because how can you say that you don't believe him? How can you say you don't know him or you don't love him if you don't know him? If you know him, again, all of this that we see in this world is an outflow of his, the depth of his love. Because the Father loved the Son, loved the Spirit, the Son loved the Father and the Spirit, Spirit loved the Father and the Son, and because they, they throughout eternity past loved one another, the joy of that flowed out and all that we see came into being because he loved us. That's why it's important we understand. He wasn't lonely. We don't add anything to him. We are, a, we are a result, the result, of an outflow of love between the Godhead. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer? I'm just going to close tonight, and here's what I want to do. Maybe here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, I really want to, to, to I want to grow in my knowledge of God. You know, I, I've kind of plateaued. I, I don't read as much. I don't study as much. You know, with today's technology, there's so many resources available. You know, maybe, maybe the prayer is, God, help me to hunger for knowledge of you. 
Because the more I know you, the more I love you, the more I want to serve you, the more I want to be around you. Maybe that's your desire tonight. Say, Pastor, you know what? I want God to help, to, to help me. I want that hunger to know more about him. If that's you tonight, if you're online, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you. If you're here, just slip in, write it right back down. Father, tonight I love you so much. And God, I thank you, Lord. I know that teachings like this, Lord, they are way above our, our heads. There's, our minds can't even fathom the concept of what Trinity really is. But Lord, may we understand. May we understand tonight that the Godhead has immense love for each other and set an example as to how we are to love one another and interact, interact with each other. Father, I pray for the hands that went up tonight. Lord, I pray that you would help us create within us a desire, a hunger to know to know you. Because to know you is to love you. To know you is to want to be in your presence, Lord, where there's fullness of joy. So, Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to avail ourselves of all the resources that are available today. Lord, just to, to know about your nature. And, Lord, as we study, Lord, we ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit that our eyes would be enlightened, that we, would, we can see and understand your truth. Reveal it to us as we uh, are diligent in our study. And Father, I pray for the, each one here tonight. Lord, maybe it's been a rough week. I pray, God, that you would just, uh, Lord, you would touch them, that you would, uh, Lord, just uphold them for the remainder of the week. I pray you'll give us a great night, a restful night. Lord, should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday ready to receive your word. I pray, Lord, that you would bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west who need an encounter with you. And even now, ordain what you're going to do. Go with us now, I pray. I love and I bless each one in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.